What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. We apologize for being gone for the last two weeks, but we finally got Biz back in town. I mean, what'd you get in? Like 1230 last night? One o'clock in the morning? Uh, way too late. After three canceled flights or delayed flights from Vegas. Yeah, I'm back. Yeah. Don't want to do Vegas no more for a very long time. You vegas out, huh? Man, it don't change. Every time you go back. Now, they do have the dopest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. It's a big dome. It's an LED dome. I've seen that. that. That's all over social media. Man, it looks like a basketball meteorite that hit the earth, and it's there. They can put anything on it. They had the earth roll. The eyeball freaked me out. That looked a little weird. That's a little scary. Like a reptilian Yeah, yeah. It looked like. Something from the 60s that real good CGI, CGI, like it was yeah. crazy. But otherwise, cigar convention, cigar stuff, and it was Vegas. All right. So for those of you, I've gotten a little critique over the last two weeks. So we're changing some things up here, starting with this show. So as you guys can see, a little bit of new setup. ICC is full on under renovations right now. They are really rapidly going at the expansion. So that is altering the show a little bit. It is very likely the week after next that we will be moving to Thursdays for the foreseeable future. Same time, just probably on Thursdays. So I'm also going to start off with a little bit of uh, what you smoking, what you drinking. Because everybody has hammered me for not talking about the cigars we're smoking. So I will get into that here in a second. But without further ado, I want to introduce you guys to our guests. Our guest today is going to be Vince Barnhill. Vince is the original founder of Universal Rehearsal Studios, um, which is one of the largest in DFW. So many classic bands and local bands and national acts have come through Universal. It was a staple. The old building just went through getting transitioned to whatever it's going to be now. We're going to dive all into this story. This is where all the local bands practice, rehearse, called home forever. Every band in DFW damn near knows Vince, has worked with Vince at some point. So you guys have a lot to hear tonight. He's got some amazing stories that I can't wait to dive into with you guys. So, I mean, we're going to be talking about stories with like Pantera, Drowning Pool, Reverend Horton Heat, the Dixie Chicks, Miranda Lambert, and many others. But he's also done stuff with national acts like Lance Lopez, Jason Newstead, Izzy, Erica Badu, and many more. So, hope you guys enjoy this show. Stay tuned, and that's what you have to look forward to. So, welcome to the show, my man. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you. You and I have known each other for quite a while, and I am super stoked for this because my true passion is music, as you know, and being involved and around it, much the same as you. I have not done as much with music as you have, but... I absolutely love anything that involves music. It's been a journey. It is. Yeah. Well, why don't you introduce everybody and kind of let's start off with where you came from, how you ended up in Dallas. Let's just start right at the beginning. You want the short story or the long story? Because there is no short story. I mean, (laughs) we got time, so. 
Well, I come from a small farming town in Quincy, Illinois, and uh, was transplanted in 71. I think I was seven years old. I'm dating myself. Uh, moved to Texas and uh, met my new dad and uh, started our life here uh, at a young age, and it was a culture shock for me, I can tell you that. My yeah. dad was an 11-year jarhead, Marine Corps, four tours in Nam, drill sergeant. So, oh, wow. Um, he got our attention, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and we were on our journey. And uh, I don't know what else to say about that other than it was a pretty uh, exciting journey as a kid. But, uh, you know, now I look back and I'm so thankful that I did have the childhood that I did because it made me who I am today. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I know this is one of your first times or not first times, but I know you're not a big cigar guy. But, so you guys know, I'm going to start you guys off a little bit here. So, what he's smoking is by principle. It's the Koshan. It's an excellent cigar. It's one I really love. Yeah, you, can, you might need to retouch it a little bit there. Um, just don't burn the shit out of yourself. There you go. So, he's going with the principle. It's a nice, light cigar. It's not going to overpower anybody, especially somebody that doesn't smoke a lot of cigars. It's one I like to give my guests. That is a tasty cigar. Yeah. I am smoking a Gran Habano Zulu Zulu. This is a cigar I really, really like. I also, hopefully we'll get into this in a little bit, but I've also got a Byron 1850 here today. And then, as you can see back here, what we're sipping on, we've got some smoke wagon small batch that's what, what vince having, started off yes. with i started off with the will it rye just because that's one of my favorites mm. and then i'm probably gonna dip into this as you guys know i really like cigar blends and anything finished in amber on a barrel this is the new lou from total wine pick right now so that's what we're sipping that's what we're drinking before any of you guys and i forget start hammering me because i didn't let you know what we're smoking <laughs> All of the cigars are still available here at ICC. Highly recommend you guys, if you're in the area over in Frisco, stop by, check them out, get you some. So, moved to Dallas in the 70s. Went to school here. I did. I'm a Grove rat. Okay. Went to W.W. Samuel and San Jacinto in elementary and grew up in the Grove. And uh, that's why I call myself a Grove rat, but... Uh, those of you know what that means. Mm -hmm. And uh, went to high school, quit in the 10th grade. A lot of people don't know okay. that. But uh, two years after that, I started Universal Rehearsal. All right. So let's back up a little bit there. What were you doing for work at the time? Like, how did, how did the original idea for Universal Rehearsal come around? Well, I was looking for work, and I wandered into this place called Courage Design, which is a Christian gift manufacturing company. Okay. And uh, they actually hired me. I couldn't believe it. And uh, minimum wage back then was 30, $3.35 an hour, believe it or not. And uh, I was there about a year, and the company downsized due to financial problems and uh, left the upstairs of the executive offices vacant. And uh, it progresses into me wanting to be a rock star. Okay. I, I've always wanted to be a rock star. Who didn't want to be a rock star I thought I was going to be a, 
famous drummer like Tommy Lee or something. There you go. So I got a drum set and I entered this KZEW, 98 KZEW, okay. uh, Hard Rock Cafe Drum Off Contest, uh, where you got up and you soloed for 98 seconds. And if you won, you got to go to an exotic island and open up a new Hard Rock Cafe. <clears throat> they had a bass off and a lick off and yeah. they formed this band. So I got up and I totally tanked. I'm equivalent to Garth from Wayne's World. I want to I tell you that right now. So you couldn't I, get Clint to give you some lessons back then. I mean, I know you two have known each other for like ever. He should have. I, I could I could have used him. He's an awesome drummer. But uh, uh, so the, the contest came and went, and I left my drums upstairs in this vacant office. Yeah. And uh, I was working downstairs one day, and the landlord came in. And I didn't tell my boss that I had left my drums up there. I, I, I set them up so I could go up there and practice late at night because I had a key yeah. to the building. And uh, the landlord came in and uh, started walking through the back stairs, and I was just horrified. So I followed him up. There he was, door open. He's looking at a drum set in his office space. And I come up behind him, and I, I was like, Mr. Gilbert, I'm, I'm sorry. I should have asked. And he goes, no, I don't care. I'm going to store some stuff up here. Too. you're welcome to I was like wow so I invited a bass player and a guitar player on the weekends I'd go up there and I'd jam and uh, literally was going to the restroom one day one night and I had this idea to open up a rehearsal studio went to my boss who is my mentor to this still to this day and uh, I said hey man I'd really like to lease that space up there and I said, would you talk to Mr. Gilbert for me about it? He goes, no, but you are. And I was like, oh, my God, I was horrified. Yeah. And uh, he kind of gave me some pointers because it was his landlord, too. Yeah. So I went over to the office, uh, was in the same complex, and uh, sat there patiently and put me on the hold a couple times. And I was about to walk out. He came out, and he's like, what you got? And I said, man, I got an idea for that space upstairs threw it out to him and uh, I said I'd like to do this and he went okay I was shocked I, I couldn't believe that he agreed to it yeah as I'm walking out of there a million things are going through my mind this is Absolutely. the first time you gotta remember I'm making 335 an yeah. hour uh, how just, are you gonna come up with this money you know, I mean everything and I just said Mr. Gilbert I don't know if this is gonna work uh would you give me a couple months free? And he goes, sure. And that's how it started. Uh, before my first rent payment was so due. So you never know until you ask. That's, that, that's part of my advice uh, that my, my mentor, Boo Garage, told me. Just ask. Yeah. Just ask. The worst thing they can do is say no. That's right. And I mean, that's where so many people get caught up. I mean, like the common sense in this is have have the audacity have the whereabout if it's something you want to pursue just ask give it I, a go yeah i was so intimidated by wealth and successful people you know and i was just this i was mopping the floors cleaning the toilets at this place you know mm -hmm. and uh, now you know i've got this idea and uh before my first rent payment was due in 90 days i had already leased the 10 or 12 rooms that i had uh, and by the time the first rent payment was due for the bands, 
half of them didn't, couldn't come up with the money. So they left, or I kicked them out. And new people would come in, and I would just up the rent a little bit. So long story short, it was a success. It, yeah, I filled it up, and that, I, was, I had opened Universal uh, in the metal years. I'm dating myself. Yeah. But, you know, the basement was smoking days. Dallas City Limits was hot then. And everybody hung out in the metal clubs. And I put the word out that I had a rehearsal studio. And this list began to just stack of potential renters. Well, nobody would move out. It was like really hopping. And... Um, we could not practice until seven and we had to shut it down at midnight because I had a regular job and there was businesses on either side of me, insurance companies and, you know, there was an NA next door. So we were limited on our hours, but, uh, I went to my boss and, or to the landlord and I was like, do you have any more suites available? He was like, sure, you know. Sweet B is available. It's got six rooms in it. And Sweet C's available. It's got 10 rooms in it. Before I knew it, I had five suites in this place and about 25 bands practicing in this uh, U-shaped office complex. And uh, the list continued to grow. So uh, I ended up branching out a couple blocks away uh, and opened up another place. And I thought, wow, I'm onto something here and uh, went to Garland and opened up a couple places in Garland. Three places, actually, in Garland. And, uh, and how old are you when all this is happening? Like, I am for perspective? Uh, 19. 19 years old. Yeah, 19 years old. With a 10th grade education, and you're That's just right. taking advantage of an opportunity that came to you as an idea, and now you're blowing it up. Like, you're, you're now instantly within... How long would you say from the time you opened up the first spot to the second spot was it it was uh six months six months and then the third and the fourth yeah you're 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 rapidly expanding to get a bigger place more space right within three and a half years i had five locations all bootstrapped bootstrap zero zero investment yeah went to the landlords asked I, i did the same thing i did with mr gilbert at the first one and they all agreed and let me gave me a chance and uh they were successful and uh i would dumpster dive at night at carpet places in the back and get their remnants of their carpets nails tack it on the wall and did soundproofing and we were in business man i mean just going and blowing you mean you didn't start off with all that fancy soundproofing foam that came a lot later when i had the finances to do that but um but you know, what, what ultimately happened within five years, we were, I was like, you know, I had all these locations and it was just, I was just running it by myself, going to each one, cleaning them and, and I, I needed help. So there was a couple guys that needed work that played in bands and were like, hey man, I'd like to help you and I'd trade them rent. And they helped me out. Yeah. And uh, the, lo- the load got a lot lighter, but... Uh, I decided to set my eyes on bigger and better things because each location that we had, uh, we had 
we could only start at a certain time because there was adjacent business. These are all leased properties. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't tolerate the music during the day. Where every day on Markville, I drove by the Cheerleader Supply Building. I don't know if anybody knows what that is. It was also a staple here. It's where the pom-pom was invented by Lawrence Herky Herkimer. He also invented the uh, cheerleading jump, the Herky. Nice. And he had sold the company, and the building next door to where I started was vacant for a couple of years. I mean, to the point where the for sale or for lease sign was dilapidated, the weeds were grown up. Once again, I went to my boss, and I said, man, I sure would like to have that building, uh, you know, because I could practice, my guys could practice 24-7. He said, call the number. I like, oh. Once again, it was like all over again, but I did, and I called the agent. Next thing you know, I'm sitting in this building with Herky, and I did a deal. And I signed a lease on, on the play, a three-year lease. And I moved the 2530 bands into the Markville facility and became the first 24-hour rehearsal place where bands could come and go as they please. Huge success. There was 50, yeah, there was 50 awesome. offices in it. So I filled up more than half of them. And once people heard that I opened up and I had more rooms, I filled that list, and it began to grow and grow. We eventually chopped that building up and had 101 rooms, in it, and they were full. I mean, I can remember here, you know, I moved to Dallas in 96, and I can remember hearing about Universal when I first started hanging around bands and stuff like that. Like, where are you guys practicing at? You know, like, what, what, are, you guys, what, are, you guys, what are you guys rehearsing? And, like... That, that's where it all started because I think you and I have talked about this before you're a former partner in Deep Blue Something um, I worked with the keyboard guy at Sears in the really? audio visual department I think his name was Manny I can't I remember. remember Manny I can't maybe it was Sammy it was Sammy or Manny, it was I, Manny. Can't, I can't yeah. remember but he was a keyboard player he did play with them all the time but he played sometimes and that was my first introduction to that because they were of course practicing at your place yeah and that was right when breakfast at tiffany's had come out so i that was my first experience of ever seeing universal was going with him to watch practice he invited me after work one day it was kind of like hey we're practicing we're getting ready to go on tour you know they were getting ready i think start their european tour because i mean like it had just like yeah, the bottom fell out below, of that yeah. with that so that was my that was my first experience of seeing universal rehearsals so, I mean, I think that was awesome. I mean, it was just it, the vibe that place had and just, like, there were just bands everywhere. I mean, like, and in the 90s when I was here, late 90s, early 2000s, the music scene was absolutely amazing. It was nuts. And, I mean, you had all these just kick-ass bands. I mean, Toadies, Reverend Horton Heat, were yeah. Drowning Pool, um, Down Low, I mean... Everybody was just tripping Daisy, off. tripping Daisy, Edgewater, uh, Hollow. I mean, all these bands, the Benjamin Allen band. I mean, you just, I mean, all, across all kinds of stuff, Bowling for Soup. I mean, all those cats, Vallejo. Man. I mean, like all these guys from you know Austin all the way to DFW out to Denton. It was blowing up. Yeah, it was an exciting time, and uh, that place was. At night was like a city, man. I mean, you could yeah, walk and all there. the bands are like collaborating oh, and yeah. hanging out, like. And the, you know, the death metal scene was huge back then. 
Mm-hmm. You know, we had guys like Absu who are still going strong today. I mean, they're black metal. I mean, they they're they were hugely successful, still are. Um, and then the touring bands started coming. You know, um, caught wind when people coming to Dallas. You know, they wanted to get in a quick rehearsal or something. Yeah. Andy Timmons was my first guy. You know, my first big rock star. Yeah. And I'm, he's still a customer today, man. I, I love that guy. But he was uh, playing guitar for Leanne Rhymes. And he, uh, this is after the Danger Danger. And uh, he brought Leanne Rhymes in. And that was my first big name there. Yeah. And uh, the, uh, the big room, the A room, was, was quite small. And I asked Miss Rhymes, I said, how did you like it? She goes, well, I wish the room was bigger. Soon as she left, man, we got the sawzalls out and the hammers and, and expanded the A room. I think we expanded that thing like five times to 2,000 square feet. And, uh, and there we went, man. I mean, we were, the word just spread. Andy spread the word. Leanne spread the word. Yeah. And uh, the phone started ringing. To, to, give, to give people that are listening that aren't watching this live, because there'll be people that listen to this after the fact, to give people kind of a visualization of what, these spaces look like correct me if i'm wrong but you had between the first and second floor you had something like 30 35,000 square feet of space right yeah. loading dock in the back of like a commercial warehouse three, type three loading docks yeah you had you had loading docks in the back you created like a main central room that had a full at eventually i know this wasn't right out the gates but like eventually you set up a full typical you know, like touring stage right. of that size so that national acts could come in like Leanne Rhymes of full band, test out their lights, get the show all going, choreographic how they wanted it. Like that was their space to come to before the actual nationwide tour. Yep, straight on international pre-tour tour. rehearsal, yeah. lights, sound system, anything they were going to pack up and take off, you know, on the road with them. Yeah. I mean, the buses would literally load up and take off from there yeah in the trailer and um and then you had also when we talk about these smaller rooms what would you say 10 by 20s and 10 by 10s like we had rooms from eight foot by eight foot for drummers that couldn't practice in their apartment all the way up to 20 by 30s you know we're like the drowning pool room uh you know the uh tripping daisies room you know um the guys that had the, the funds to, to could afford a little bit bigger space. Yeah. But, um, and, and all the equipment that they had, but, uh, yeah, man, it's, uh, it, the, the monthly side for the local guys, um, they ranged anywhere from eight by eight up to 20 by thirties and all sizes in between. Anything that would be, would be big enough to hold a four or five piece band and their equipment. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people compromise size for price and they would cram everything they had in these rooms and make it work and that's the way it was really for the majority of the life of that building until the last probably 10 years uh bands would come man we need more room i said well i don't have anything so that room next door is empty could we bust out this wall i said yeah if you'll pay for it and they would and i would eliminate four bodies four cars four toilet flushes and get the same amount of money or a little bit more yeah, uh, and and they were happy, and so we that's in the last ten years we started uh, busting out the walls and making bigger rooms, and just never had enough. Just really never had enough 
you know. What a great problem to have. It was a great problem <laughs> to have. And, but, you know, man, we attracted everybody from pizza delivery guys, lawyers, cops, firemen. Uh, and a lot of people wanted that extra space where they could bring in a couch, uh, a refrigerator. I mean, a lot of those rooms you walked into and they were man caves for these people. Yeah. It was their place to go, get away from the kids, the wife, and it was their man cave, you know, and they yeah. could come and be with their bros and make music and pursue their passion, and uh, it, it, was, it was an awesome sight to see these guys showing up every night to get in there and do what they love. So what do you credit to making all this possible? I mean, you, you, you actually, I mean... You, you bootstrapped it, but, I mean, to take it from where you did to what it was right before you shut the doors, what, what do you credit to, like, all of that and the success that Universal had? First and foremost, the, the local musicians that supported me, that uh, were loyal and uh, guys that were with me forever. First, those, the local musicians, that was our bread and butter. And uh, we still have guys that are with us today. Their children yeah. are with us today. But tenacity, you know, to uh, fulfill a service for these guys uh, and just be a little bit better quality each time I opened up a new place or uh, offered something new for them, you know? I mean, yeah. Uh, that's really what drove me. And, and, of course, man, the success of the company was amazing. I mean, I... I you know, guy that started off at three thirty-five an hour is now making quite a bit. You know, a, a decent income for somebody my age with no education. Yeah, it was like winning the lottery. It actually was. Yeah, yeah. So, but the the local guys are, are what did it. That drove us. Absolutely. The need, you know, because I mean, if you don't have the local guys, I mean, you never get to the national acts. I mean, like no. that's. I mean, because you didn't grow up in the music industry and stuff. It's just like mm -hmm. you kind of implanted yourself in it and just started growing it naturally and going to local shows and meeting these guys. Oh, I'm we lived sure. at the nightclubs. I mean, yeah. it's, uh, you know, we had an open invitation to every band that was playing and I tried to get out to see every one of them. Um, and I always paid. I, yeah. never, I, I did not do a guest list because I, I was supportive of the scene. These guys work their ass off, man, to yeah. pursue their dream. And, and I was supportive of them too, you know. Yeah. I owed it to them. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So I know one of the stories I thought about that I want people to really know what type of person you were and why, not were, but are when you were dealing with these bands and stuff. You once told me a story about Jason Newstead from Metallica and when you guys hung out when he first came in. Maybe you can tell that story because I think that really kind of shows how you treated even the biggest stars that came through there and gets people a really good idea of why this was such a good place. It wasn't like you got a call and Jason Newstead wants to come rehearse at your space and you're like, oh, that's Metallica money. Like, I'm, I'm going to jack this dude. And, no. You know. Our price was the same for everybody. We, you know, we, you know, consistency was always my, my motto. You know, I yeah. didn't care if, you were cheap trick or the local guys. I didn't care. The price was the same. Now, when they showed up, I never, you know, two or three buses and a semi truck, 
I never went, man, I should have got more money for this. That's just not, that wasn't me. Uh, yeah. I wanted to be fair with everybody. And um, those guys continued to come back. But uh, I was working with a band called Speed Dealer, the lo- one of my local favorites. And uh, I remember them. I saw them at like the Vampire Lounge when oh, I was like so in good, my man. early 20s. So I get this call from L.A. and, uh, you know, it's some film company. And they're like, hey, man, we're, you know, we're working with this band called Speed Dealer. And uh, we got a producer named Jason Newstead that wants to produce the record. And we'd like to do some uh, pre-recording uh, rehearsals, you know. I said, okay. I think they booked 10 days or something like that. And uh, so uh, it was pre-production for the record. And uh, the date came, and uh, I can remember being nervous and, you know, wanted to be there early. We were set to start practicing at 9 and load in. And so I get there about 8 in the morning, 8.30, and I turn right onto Markville, and I almost run over this guy crossing the street. I'm like, what the hell? So I get to the building get everything turned on, doorbell rings. I look out there, it's the guy that I almost ran over. He's got a guitar <laughs> strapped to his back. I go to the door, and I go, can I help you? He goes, Vince? And I go, yeah. He goes, Jason. I went, Newstead? He's like, yeah. I said, dude, what are you doing? You know, I almost <laughs> ran over you. He goes, I know. He goes, and I want to drive that monster truck. But, uh, <laughs> you know, when I, when I asked him, I was like, dude, what are you doing? I said, where'd you come from? like he was supposed to come in on a magic carpet or something, you know? Yeah. And uh, he goes, I'm staying across the street at the Holiday Inn. I was like, what? And that was it, man. Yeah. I mean, we Jason were... Jason Newstead from Metallica is staying yeah. at a Holiday Inn. Yeah. And the coolest and guy. not the greatest part of Dallas. I mean, it's not, not in the like... <laughs> it's not like this is Frisco or Uptown or something like that. And I almost ran over him. Uh, but he was so cool, man. And we got settled in and started working you know, on the record, and, uh, you know, he would, you know, I need this, I need that, can you go do this for me, can you do that? Yeah. I'm like, sure, man, and uh, we became fast friends to the point where he asked me if I wanted to travel with him. I was like, sure, doing what? And he's like, tour managing, you know, he was in uh, Echo Brain at the time, yeah. and uh, he was still doing a little bit of Voivod, but this guy had just came off the Metallica deal, you know, yeah. and, uh, you know, we would go to Whole Foods and, you know, my kids and my nephew were there, uh, for the summer. They'd always come out and hang out with me at the studio. And I said, well, yeah, I can take you, you know, if you don't mind my, my boys are going to go. And here we are in Whole Foods. I think I told you this story Yeah. where anytime I'm with a celebrity, I just kind of sit back and watch from afar, you know? Yeah. And, uh, here we are in Whole Foods, and, uh, you know, their policy is not to approach any any uh, celebrities. Yeah. But Newstead's off with my son, uh, Tristan, and my nephew, Simon, who were 8 and 12 at the time, and he's show them how to, showing them how to pick ripe kiwis. And I'm <laughs> standing off in the distance, and just nobody would ever believe this, you know, and the employees are going out of their mind. They recognize him, and... And uh, that's one of the cool stories. But the coolest story is, uh, if I could tell it. Yeah, go right ahead, man. A lot of people don't know this about Jason, uh, how kind he is uh, to people. We would go to lunch, and somebody would recognize him, and 
his food would get cold talking to him and I would already be done and ready to go pay the bill and I was like hey man you want me to get you something else or he's like no I'm good that's what kind of a person he was but uh during this record that we were doing he didn't like to go to like guitar center and go shopping so he would usually send me but one day he said I need to get out of here let's go so we end up at uh, guitar center and I called ahead and, and got everything pre set out for us and you know, half the people that worked at Guitar Center were customers of mine. They all played in bands. And I said, I'm coming in. I got a VIP. We need to get this, this, and that. We get in and get out. As soon as we get there, people go crazy. And uh, we end up over at the uh, accessory counter where all the pedals are and the strings are. The crowd starts to gather. And uh, he's just being himself. And one of the guys that worked at the, the accessory counter said, hey, Mr. Newstead, on this, on this record, this song, tell me if I'm right. And he starts laying out all these effects pedals, you know, trying to guess what sound Newstead, how he got this sound on this song, on this yeah. record. And Newstead obliges him and says, let's see what you got. So they start pulling all these uh, pedals out, and he's putting them in a line. He's like, connect this one, connect that one. And he's like, nope tries it again it was like a trivia game is what it was yeah i'm standing off in the distance and i noticed this 13 14 year old kid a little overweight pimples got a guitar strapped to his back and he's got a pedal in his hand and he's trying to get help and jason's like hey man, why don't you go help help this guy and the kid that's trying to figure out this sound is like I, he can wait well, I noticed that Newstead was getting a little bit annoyed by it. And I sat there and I watched this kid. He patiently sat, stood there. And it happened a couple more times. And finally said, hey, turned around to this kid and said, what's going on? He says, uh, I bought this pedal and the other day and there's a knob missing. And the guy goes, oh, the guy behind the counter is like, no way. We wouldn't have sold it that way. And Newstead turned around to that kid that was trying to figure out his sound and said, hand me that pedal right there. And he reached into the glass case, handed it to Newstead. He took the knob off of it, handed, got, got the pedal from the kid, and put it on there, and said, there you go, bud. And that kid turned around and walked out of there, had no idea who had just done that for him. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, man, that was the coolest thing I ever, I ever seen. That is the coolest thing. It was, and Newstead was done at that point. He was so yeah. annoyed by those people, and we turned around and walked out got her set and walked out wow wow all right i've got some questions rolling in on the chat here so i'm gonna i'm gonna derail you for just mm. a minute here a good friend of mine lee is asking where did you get all the equipment that you offered at your place where how did you come how did you obtain or get the equipment as you built up i think everybody knows that at a certain point you had equipment for pretty much everything i think you even had trailers that you would rent right. certain bands where they could come and load up for their gigs and roll out in the early days these national acts would come in and trucks would start to show up delivery trucks from backline rental companies and uh i'd answer the door and they're like i'm here i got a delivery for this band so and so and i would notice they'd bring in a certain amp or a a certain keyboard or whatever it was. Yeah. And I just kind of took notice of that. 
and I thought, wow, man, I, you know, maybe I should have some of this stuff in-house. At the time, uh, early on, I was managing uh, a band called Magic Box, and lead singer Ronnie Trent worked at First Cash Pond, which in Garland was one of the biggest music. They had so much. It was like a music store, but it was a pawn shop. Yeah. And uh, I called him and asked him if he had any keyboards or any amps or drum sets. And he's like, yeah. And every time something would come out of pawn, I'd go down and I'd buy it. And I started building my inventory that way. And that's how I did that for about five or eight years, as long as Ronnie worked at that pawn shop. That's how I got most of my gear, a lot that I still have today. But as we got bigger and bigger, we would invest in, in yeah. newer stuff, new amps, until we had this huge inventory of backline and still have it to this day. And didn't you even, if I'm correct, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure you guys... Even in part of Universal, you opened up like a little mini store where they could like get normal stuff, strings, yeah, and we had small goods, and yeah. heads, and I thought you know late at night, guitar center's closed, need some drumsticks, some strings, yeah, cord, something like that. So I had this idea to open up a small goods store, and I would kind of like shuffle through my gear, you know, stuff that really wasn't desirable anymore. We'd put it in the store. And people would wander down from upstairs and hang out at the store. It was like a, you know, like a local hang, you know? And, yeah. And, uh, and surprisingly, people would buy stuff. And we did well, you know? We, we did well. We had that uh, run in for two or three years. How, how did you handle, uh, you know, answer this the best you can? I think this will lead into a, a story I know you've told me before. Um, how did you handle security? Because, I mean, if this place is open 24-7, you got all kinds of bands coming and going. I mean, how did you keep this place secure and, and, and protect all this stuff? Because, I mean, I imagine, well, I, and I know, these bands are not loading their shit in and out every single night. And a lot of guys, and I mean, I think this is one of the things that also made you very successful for a lot of these guys is they trusted you. I mean, yeah. I mean, on multiple levels. But they knew if they left their, you know, 56 Gibson Les Paul in the studio, the Vince was going to protect my stuff. Like, my stuff is not going anywhere. I feel comfortable leaving here. I don't have to take it in and out each night, worry about getting jumped in the parking lot because I'm carrying out some really valuable guitar or bass or, you know, whatever it may be, amps, you know, like... Because that would be a real pain in the ass if you had to, like, if you couldn't leave your stuff there and feel very secure about that, it probably, in my opinion, wouldn't be as successful. So, I mean, how did you build that and how did you manage that part? Because I think that plays a very key role in, in part of your success. In the early days, it was key. So we, we made a lot of keys. But uh, I started researching uh, options and we came out with the, uh, or came up with the keypad entry into the main part of the studio. Of course, everybody had their own key to their own room. And, yeah. Uh, but over time, we started investing in video surveillance. And that was key. Uh, we had cameras everywhere, and people knew it. Um, we weren't so much prepared for outside people knowing what... That's why we never had any signs on the building, but people from the outside coming in 
there were so many people there and somebody there almost 24-7, it would have been pretty stupid to come in and steal something. And the few things, the few thefts that we did have, we caught them. I mean, red-handed. And yeah. out of 30-plus years, I think we had 13 or 14 thefts. Uh, and 12 of those were caught uh, with convictions and 95% of the equipment returned. And that's the reason. I mean, yeah. the, the cameras do not lie, you know. Because you're controlling a lot of people coming in and out, and bands always have friends that are coming to hang out with them. Yeah. Watch them, give them advice. You know, you got all kinds of people coming in out. So I mean, I'm sure well, that's... we've always had a, a a private and closed rehearsal policy. Yeah. Uh, pardon the pun, but I just told people common sense. You know, uh, you know, if your girlfriend wants to come in or your little brother wants to come in and watch you, that's fine. But this is not a party place or a hangout place, and we would catch that right away. And you know, when fans come in and rented a room from me, I I laid down the law. I said, this is all I expect. Have fun, and I won't bother you. And 99.9% of them were cool with that. Yeah. And I can count on one hand how many people that I've had to ask to leave, you know, uh, for not doing what I asked to do. But everybody looked out for everybody there. Yeah. And I would get calls all hours of the night. There's a car here. There's a group of people. Don't know them. And they knew. These people knew if something was out of place. Yeah. Because, I mean, I remember the big drowning pool theft. Like, that's probably the one that, like, yeah. most people that were involved in the music scene at least heard about this. So maybe you can, that's probably the one you can probably share and talk about because it's the one that got the most publicity. It did. Uh, I can't remember what year it was, but... Uh, Dave had passed, and they were out uh, with the new singer, and they'd done a tour, and they had, from the last city that they had played in, majority of the band flew from that city uh, home for Easter. I believe it was Easter weekend, or Thanksgiving, I believe it was. And uh, Stevie rode the bus back to the studio, and I think he lived in Dallas, and he was, his family was here or whatever. So the bus uh, showed up, uh, I don't know, the night before, and they were sleeping on the bus. And uh, at 4.45 in the morning, uh, three armed uh, people came in, and uh, it was an inside job, uh, got the code, and came in, and they were there to steal drowning pool stuff because somebody said that's where the money's at because they had all the cool shit i mean right and uh and i know this from looking at the video the people came in went directly to the bottom of the stairs looking around got on the phone uh ended up breaking into their stevie's out on the bus asleep uh and they break in and they load a truck full of their gear uh, and take off with it. Stevie comes in about 8.30 in the morning, realizes that they've been broken into, calls me. I'm about ready to go to Oklahoma to be with my family. Completely shocked and was there within minutes. Stevie was there, he was upset. Uh, and 
just so happens, one of the gentlemen, uh, majority stockholder in WB33 Channel 11, was a customer of mine, had a drum room there. I got on the phone at 9 o'clock in the morning. I said, Gary, we've had a robbery. Uh, it's bad. And uh, drowning pool. It's a drowning pool. At 11 o'clock, the news crew was there. Brett Ship was there. He did a story at 6 o'clock. It was on the news. The guys from Rivethead, huge, one of my favorite bands, one of my oldest customers, the singer, Steve Page, uh, worked at a lawyer firm and did video uh, litigation preparing. So he took the footage and edited it, put it up on MySpace, and, uh, and it circulated so quick. Uh, if it weren't for Steve doing that and, and posting that, they would have never been caught. I can tell you that right now. But uh, after the forensics people left, got fingerprints, took, took all the statements, and we secured the building, uh, we all went ahead. There was nothing for us to do but secure the place and, and go yeah. on to Thanksgiving. By the, I logged on to the computer on my way to Oklahoma, and by the time I had got to the Oklahoma border, it was already worldwide on blabbermouth.com. And uh, I think it was two weeks later, they were caught. And about 80%, 90% of the gear was returned. That's awesome, man. Yeah. And uh, you can't ask for more than that. The scary part was is that um, three of these guys were ex-convicts, and they had machetes and probably had guns, but we saw the machetes. They were there. If anybody, If Stevie had walked in there, oh, my God, I, I just don't even want to think about it. Yeah. But... Uh, it all worked out, man. It was because of the, the local bands that were there, spread the word, and it was all over the news. And actually, one of them's wife, one of the thieves' wives, turned, turned her husband in. Wow. Unbelievable. That's just wild. I mean, that's... Thank you, Steve Page. Yeah, yeah. Thank and you. Drowning Pool thanks you. And sure, Drowning Pool they greatly did, thanks you. I mean, to get the word out like that. I mean, it... it those bands are so tight. I mean, they all, they play shows together. They grow up in the scene together. I mean, and again, damn near most of them rehearsed at your space. So, like, pretty much. And they what was bonded. so cool to watch was when one member, whatever, it, whatever position it was, got tired or got let go from the band, they would show up in another room. And I'm like, and nobody was upset with each other, you know, because yeah. that was one of our rules. No fighting, you know. Yeah. And that did happen a few times, but everybody worked together, man. And it was such a, just it was so cool to sit back and watch all these people coexist. Yeah. Different genres. Yeah. What, what are some of the, what are some of the coolest collaborations that came from guys just being in those spaces together? They're like. What, what was, like, the coolest jam session you walked in on that, like, you would have never expected? You know, like, toadies hanging out with Reverend Horton Heat or, you know, whatever. I mean, I'm just going with something off the top of my head. Yeah, you know, the coolest things would be, like, there'd be a guy in a, a DJ. He would be in a little 8 by 8 closet or drum room is what we call it. Yeah. And, you know, he's in there for a while. And the next thing you know, you walk by a full band you know, like a rock band, and there's a DJ, and they're scratching along to their music. Next thing you know, they're doing a gig together, and they've added, you know, some mixing and whatever they call it, you know. Yeah. But uh, that was probably the coolest thing. Or, you know, just seeing uh, 
people bored, or, you know, a guy couldn't show up, another member would come from another band and fill in on drums or bass, and there you have it. You know, a friendship's born. And, yeah. Uh, you know, because, you know, a lot of those guys are competitive. Mm-hmm. They're all competing for a stage in Dallas. and Especially yeah. in the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. Like, there, that there, was some cutthroat stuff. There was no fa- favors given, you know, out on the scene, but... Uh, inside the studio, man, people would say, hey, you want to open up for us? There's, you know, we had a band or we need a band. Uh, you want to come open up? And that was so cool to see. Yeah. Uh, and I'd always try to go see, you know, multiple bands, four or five bands on a, on a bill. Because they, they would cram those in back then, you know, four bands tonight for $10. You know, it was crazy. Yeah. That, was, that, that was the coolest thing to see. Yeah, because, you, you, you know, that the circuit of bars that the guys really are clubs, that the guys really want to play, those guys are all really tight, too, the owners of those places. I mean, I know you and Clint Barlow are really good friends. Love Clint, yeah. And, you know, Download is one of my favorite bands from my early 20s. Like, Howard's my brother. Howard, Howard is my oh, boy. Yeah. I hope Howard's listening to this because I want to get Howard on the show when we start the music podcast. Which I'll give you all some more inside information on it later because that's moving along very rapidly. Um, yeah, Howard. Howard knows me still because I used to kill these guys with Jaeger, man. Like Howard, if I wa- <laughs> my wife thought I was kind of like making up this story back in the day, and I told her about Howard, but I mean, like she didn't know who he was, you know. And we went over to the Armory one night, and this was just like I don't know, man. This is probably like in the last ten years. And I hadn't seen Howard since, like, my early 20s. You know, because when I got out of the music scene for a while, I got completely out. Like, I had to have a full-on timeout. Like, I got to break away from this. I got to, you know, control my life and, you know, get to where I just enjoy going out to see music again. Because I just, I was way too involved for a while. And, yeah, I had a lot of stuff happen. But... I remember Sarah and I were across the street over at the Armory having our favorite duck wings and having some, uh, they had the best old-fashioned in the world that I had had at that time. And I remember going like, hey, let's go across the street and see what's going on at Trees tonight. And she's like, all right. And it just so happened Howard, of course, was working the door that (laughs) night. And I walked across, and man, when I got within 10 feet of Howard, he was like, I ain't doing any Jaeger from you, but get over here and give me a hug. You know, like, <laughs> That's Howard. and like we, we, we broke down. And he's like, all right, I'll do one Jaeger with you. And like, cause me and Howard used to go at it, man. Like we used to have a good time, man. Like, it's never one. Yeah. It, it's never. Well, that night it was like legit. It was one like. Yeah, you weren't gonna go there. Yeah, I, I, that that's straight back to the twenties. I, I don't know if I could drink Jaeger like that anymore. Like I, it was one of those things that like I hate black licorice, but like for whatever reason I was good with Jaeger, and like most people didn't have a tolerance for it. And like people that wanted to talk trash, they'd be like, "All right, let's do Jaeger or Jaeger bombs, let's, whatever you want to do, let's go." And we would just go to town at it. Like, I just thought it was so funny. That's the first thing. It, before he even said, hello, hey, man, so good to see you or whatever, it was, I'm only doing one Jaeger shot with you. Yeah, we put away some Jaeger back in the day. Yeah. yeah. That seemed like the, the thing to do when we all got together. It was. It like, was for whatever reason, like it was all of our, everybody yeah. had those 
chilled Jaeger machines on their yeah. bars, and that was just like that. That's how you can tell somebody you're born in the '80s and you you know you were in the bar scene in the early 2000s because that was everywhere. Let me tell you about some Jaeger. Drowning Pool was sponsored by them and had a Jaeger machine in their rehearsal room. Yeah. So it was quite the popular hangout, and they were very generous with it because yeah. they had cases of it. And uh, Dave and I, God rest his soul, uh, we, we put away a lot of Jaeger in our day. I and that imagine. boy could drink. Well, one of the coolest things I remember about Universal, and I know you got a lot of publicity on this, so I, I want to make sure you get to tell this story. You guys had a dope, and I'm so sad because I somebody, when we started sharing these links, posted a picture of the state that Universal's in now. I mean, I know the property's about to be sold, and it's no longer Universal, but y'all had the coolest uh, mural of dime on it from Pantera. Can you tell us a little bit about how that came about, how that mural ended up there, who did the mural? Because that was like a staple of Dallas. Like, that's probably the only way if you were in the know, you knew what that building was. Because like, you're like, oh, it's the building with diamonds. 100%. The side of it. I, I love to tell that story. Um, you know, the guys from Pantera, Dime and Vinny, hung out there with, with the Drowning Pool guys. They were great friends. And I've been friends with them before they were famous and doing covers. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's no secret, the, the tragedy of both of them. Mm-hmm. And um, it was really dark times for us because they, were, they had such a presence at the studio and they were so kind. I mean, they would just walk the halls and knock on doors. Dime, and I'll say this, oh. like, I, I, out of a lot of the famous band guys I met, and I didn't care for everybody in Pantera, and I'm going to leave it at that, <laughs> but I will say... Dime and his brother were two of the nicest guys for what I'll call elite musicians in Dallas. Guys that really made it national stage. Yeah. Dime was the nicest dude. Dime would give you the shirt off his back. He'd give you all the time in the world. Like, it, I mean, I was truly sad to hear when what happened to Dime happened to Dime. Yeah, so, you know, you know they didn't happen at the same time, but they were two iconic people that, that had passed and, and they, were, they were friends with everybody. They gave everybody in that studio, didn't matter what, what kind of music they played, they always gave them time and they were just a staple there. It, and uh, so after, you know, a short time after, you know, uh, there was talk around the studio of what we could do and I, Frank Capagna, who is a very well-known uh, artist down at Deep Ellum, uh, his son, Frankie 45, God rest his soul, uh, uh, was a, you know, a great muralist. And I had this idea and I contacted Frank and I said, hey man, would you be willing to do two giant murals on the side of my building of Dave and Dime and a memorial to him? And he was right away, he was, he was on board with it. And I said, now what do you charge? And he's not the cheapest artist. Right. Uh, and rightfully so. And he took whatever he, you know, could get, basically. He says, whatever you can afford, which was uh, so kind. And, and it, still, it was, it was quite a lot of money. 
And so I sent out a newsletter to everybody, and I said, hey, I'm thinking about doing a, a mural to Diamond and Dave on the side of the building. Would you be willing to donate? It doesn't matter. It could be a dollar. It could be $10. Yeah. And we passed around a hat, and we raised almost $1,000. Uh, the the musicians just did it. at the studio. Yeah, just at the studio. Yeah, and I gave it to Frank, and those two murals were so iconic. Uh, you know, we used to sit and watch the monitors a lot in the office. Yeah, and we'd see people pull up and they'd be milling around out in the parking lot. We had a camera on the parking lot. We're like, what are those people doing? We would go out there and I was, can I help you? And they would speak in a foreign language and they were there to take pictures from like Norway or, yeah. or France or they had came all this way to have their picture taken with Dave and Dime in front of Universal Rehearsal. That's so awesome. And we just let them have it. There was actually scavenge hunts online when internet got real yeah. and they would use that as a reference and hide whatever it is they would hide in one of the fence posts or something. It was so cool. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to thank Frank for that, you know. And Absolutely. The guys uh, had carried on in Drowning Pool and were ready to carry on. And after five or eight years, however long we had them there, they came to me and talked to Vinny. And uh, he said, hey, man, you know, I think it's time to, to take it down. And because they came to practice every day and they would see this and it was their birth date and their death date. And, yeah. and I, I said, I'll do whatever you want to do. And uh, we decided to paint the building and we, we covered them up. Yeah. That's and, awesome. Yes. That's the story. And I, I think people should know too, because it's just assumed that like, especially with these local bands and stuff, that these guys have tons of money and they get paid a lot of money to do these gigs. I mean, I don't know currently, but I can tell you for a fact in the 2000s, when I was running around with a bunch of bands, I mean, you got a band of five guys that are, you know, hopping in a van with a trailer or whatever, and they're hauling their gear around. They're doing the Southern Belt. You know, they're doing yeah. Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Louisiana, some, some form of that. Maybe they're just doing Texas. But these guys are driving around feeding themselves gas, hotel, or sleeping in the van or whatever they have vehicle and most places these guys are lucky if they're all dividing up three four hundred dollars at the end of the night aside from any merch they may sell so that's why i mean you hear both of us have talked about this tonight saying you know hey we always try to pay for our way yeah try to buy some merch buy their vinyl buy their cd buy their shirt whatever because that's what allows these guys to actually survive on the road until, I mean, you know, until they blow up, become the national act or, you know, like the toadies or something, you know, these guys don't all start out just making money. I mean, they're literally lucky to make four or 500 bucks in a night and they're hitting a spot every night. Like they go on the road for two, three weeks as their jobs will allow, or maybe like a lot of the bands that I rolled around with, we would leave Thursday afternoon, play a soft gig Thursday night at the first place we could get to, then travel again Friday, play a gig Friday night, play a gig Saturday night, play yeah. a gig Sunday night, and then we would drive home. And then we all went back to work on Monday. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the life for these guys. So, 
it's a lot different than a lot of people really think it is. And well, I got made fun of a lot when I was in my 20s, like, oh, you're a roadie, you're a groupie, all this stuff. Yeah, you're right. But a lot of my friends went to college and stuff. And I'll tell you what, I don't feel like I'm going to have a midlife crisis because the stuff y'all are doing in your late 20s and 30s, I was doing from the time I was 18 to 24, and I was having the time of my life on the road with bands. It was it, it, just being a part of it is so cool. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's 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 uh, never enough pay. A lot of these guys, and I've been that roadie, I've been that yeah. guy, and uh, come back, and some of these guys come home owing money. You know, yeah, they uh, borrowed from one of their bandmates. God forbid, a, a van or a trailer breakdown an axle or a tire blows yeah i mean they're backwards you know yeah. and uh uh a lot of times i've seen you know guys selling shirts at a truck stop for gas money i've seen it yeah i've absolutely. been there and uh that's the dedication to this passion a lot of people ask me what i do for a living and i, I tell people i'm in the dream business you know because these people are just pursuing their dream and that's something i wanted to do and i kind of live vicariously through these folks uh, but to walk out on stage uh, or stand behind tech for somebody and see 20,000 people reciting the lyrics to a, a hit song, uh, I'm there. I'm that guy. I, I might as well just be, you know, a member, you know, because yeah. I feel the same way they do. It's an electric feeling. It really is. Absolutely, Paul. Totally agree with that. Steve, Paul just, Paul Beckman just said Steve is one of the greatest guys in the local national scene. Steve Page? Yeah, I think that's who he's talking about. I still talk to him. I just talked to him the other night at Verma Fest. My buddy Jeff Shaddle. Verma. Uh, you know Verma, too. Uh, I, I did. Yeah, I didn't Verma's know him as well as everybody. Guy. But I, I try to help where I can. And, yeah. uh, you know, I work for DW Drums. Shout out. And uh, so anytime I have a chance to put our product out, uh, I do it, and Jeff asked me if if, uh, if I would do drums for this. It's eight or nine bands, and uh, I said absolutely, I'd be happy to do it. And uh, Jeff's a great guy, you know. He goes all the way back to the basement. I mean, he was the booker there, yeah. Him and Dale Brock, and and uh, you know, he's heavy into that scene. He's never left it. He's got a day gig, but he's, yeah. he's still in the music scene, and he helps. Uh, and he was really good friends with Verma. And uh, we had a show at the uh, studio. I think it's next to the bomb factory. And, yeah. Uh, I didn't get to go to this year's memorial for They him. raised $18,000 for that charity. It's a good friend of mine's cousin was Mark Verma. And he, he was a great guy. He was Paul's in the city was his big thing. Oh, yeah. And, uh, he, he was an awesome dude, man. It's sad to hear he passed. Yeah. Jeff Shadow teared up a little bit, man, yeah. when, he, when he heard the number and... and uh, I've, I've been there, you know, where you're raising money for somebody or a good cause or somebody's past their family. Yeah. Anytime you can raise that kind of money for a good cause, it, it's a good feeling. That's what kind of got me back to playing around in the industry again was one of my good friends. Uh, shout out Jonathan Watkins. I just got to see him today, actually, before I left. He came down with lymphoma and... When I heard this, I was like, all right, we got to do something to help this cat out. Like, you know, he's a good friend of mine. He works with us. And, you know, I didn't want him to have to worry about paying his bills and working. I mean, like, his family does well and whatnot. I mean, they're one of our most reliable subs. And, you know, seeing Jonathan have to go through that, you know, newly married, whatnot, he's a former Marine. Yeah. And, you know, I was like, all right. I want to put together a fundraiser, like, benefit, so that, like, hopefully we can raise some money, 
help him pay his bills while he's going through his treatment so he doesn't have to worry about work and all that stuff. Man, I didn't realize what I got myself into, to be completely honest. A lot of work. That is so much work, especially when you've been out of the game for that long. I mean, we're talking, this is a decade and a half past when I had, like, reached out to a lot of his contacts. But, man, the minute I did, so many people came through in the biggest way. We raised, like, over $20,000. And, like, we're able to give that all to Jonathan so that he could, you know take care of his family and pay his bills and not have to worry about, do I have to be on the job side? Do I got to go work? And, you know, he does HVAC work. So, I mean, like, you want to be going through chemo and trying to climb in hot attics right now when it's 110 outside? He probably did it. I I mean, he did still do some of that. I mean, but to know that we were able to do that, man, and so many of my, my good friends' bands came through for that, it was just, it was awesome to put that together and, like, be a part of that. It, it is, and I see it a lot, you know, and the older we get, you know, the more we see people coming down with something or something tragically happens to a family and how quick the, the local music scene is, is to jump yeah. on board and, and, and support do, help, something. Help. Yeah, it's a, it's a great feeling, man. It really is. So while we're talking about supporting something... And dive into this as far as you want to. I think this is a good time to bring this up because I know a lot of people. So I want to apologize to all the bands and friends of Vince that are listening to this. When I started my post about this show this week, I said, we're back. I started off with, we're back. And that was because my show, had Common Sense Podcast, had been off the air for two weeks. I think we've had one time since last September where we were off for two weeks, right, Biz? Maybe once. Once, I think. Yeah, yeah. When I went to Hawaii, when you went off to see my little brother. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, we've never been gone that long. So that was literally me saying, "Common sense, the podcast will be back." But I know you got blown up and everything else because the sad thing about this story right now is Universal is shut down right now it is yeah and you are working very diligently to bring that back i know you have plans to have universal back operating in the very near future so to whatever extent and we're not going to dive real deep into this y'all but i know a lot of people would love to hear what vince can say about why universal is not here right now and when you foresee or how you plan to bring Universal back? I've got to be very careful about this. I know this, you do. But um, I, all I can say is partnerships are kind of like a marriage or being, having a yeah. roommate. It, uh, it's really fine and dandy in the beginning until somebody eats that last piece of pizza mm-hmm. out of the fridge and then things go downhill from there. Yep. And uh, that's essentially what happened. Uh, you know, it being like a marriage, uh, I didn't want to be married anymore. And uh, the other person wanted to stay married, and uh, I insisted, and um, the mud started slinging. And, uh, you know, uh, that's about all I can say. And that's fine. things were out of my control. I was yep. helpless. Uh, um, you, know, you know, it was a very desperate uh, 
angry type feeling. Uh, All along, I knew I could survive, but my people were so reliant on me. The when it was when it was out of my control, the people that were in control did not relay yeah. what was going on to over 65 bands yeah and ultimately gave them 30 days to get out okay let's, le- let's leave that yeah. right there right i think so, that's a very good spot to leave it at but no. you also you have every intention of bringing universal back 100 percent. and you are i know for a fact that you are working very diligently to make that happen I am. There's a lot so of people all of waiting. you guys yeah, so. that are tuning in should know that hopefully, what would you say? Hopefully by the end of the year, there's a, there's a, that's my prayer. Resurgent. That's my prayer. Yeah. I'm ready to get back to work and see these faces again and, and, uh, just be amongst all these great people, man. It's such a privilege to, to have worked with them and, and I don't want it to end and I'm not going to let it end. Yeah, uh, I will not. Uh, I've still got a few years left in me, and yeah, uh, you know, if all the stars aligned, I, I hope to be up and running, bigger and better uh, than before. You know, I look at it as a, awesome, man. A, I have every, yeah. I have every bit of faith in you, man, and like, I'm looking. Don't forward give to up on me, guys. I'm, I'm coming. Yeah. So there, you guys have it. That's that's all we are going to say <laughs> about that, but. I did want to make sure we I'll address... I'll to that. Yeah, yeah. Cheers, man. Because uh, Universal was an awesome thing. Not just myself. A lot of people want to see Universal come back in the biggest and best way. And I know there's a lot of guys that have always counted on you. And I feel like you guys all know, like, rest assured, like, the man is doing the work. He's doing everything within his power to bring that back. It's coming. Be patient. He's, he's going to be back bigger and better than ever. Patience I, is a virtue. Yeah. Patience is a virtue. That is the truest thing. And, like, I can remember my dad telling me, like, you have the least amount of patience. I, and my wife tells me sometimes, you have the most patience. And I'm like, I take that as the highest compliment because I feel like my patience level, especially with stupidity, that, I think that's part of the reason my show is called Common Sense. <laughs> you know, common sense to me means you gain common sense by going through this journey of life that we are all on. And it's through trial and error and these experiences that you gain common sense. Now, whether you retain it or not, or you recognize it for what it is, is a whole different thing. But I think people pick up on these things a lot better and easier when we're sitting down and they get to hear two friends talk about their journeys and they can see the pitfalls, the ups and downs. You gain some knowledge by being a part of that, listening to that, learning and hearing those stories. At least that's the way I learn really well is by- I think we all do. Being a part of it, living, learning, you know, you have to do those things. It's common sense. But a lot of people, we all joke, say, man, that guy has no common sense. Well. Do you really mean he's just not like, he's not very in tune? What do you mean sometimes when you say that? So I, I think it's important to talk about that. Because, I mean, maybe you can share some of the things along the way that, like, happened that, like, you would have done better. Or maybe a little pitfall here and there that you're like, man, if I'd have known that then, I would have done this different. 
or you know a lot of people uh when they're in business and they they've got a great thing and, and they expand sometimes i i think maybe we expanded too fast too quick you know we wanted to uh expand into arlington fort worth um you know and um we did that and it didn't work out the way it didn't have the success that we had at all the other places in the Dallas area. Um, I would say, you know, growing really, really fast could be a pitfall. Yeah. Uh, one of our pitfalls. Uh, you know, we lasted in Arlington uh, probably two or three years. I had originally uh, built that place for a guy that worked for us, Jason Willington from No Respect back in the days. And uh, he rest his soul he, he passed of cancer at, at 40 and i love that guy but we built that place for him so he could run it out there because he lived out there yeah and uh you know when that kind of fell apart we were kind of like lost because he was going to be the guy and we tried to run it and uh without being out there every day like we were at, yeah. the, at the dallas studios it just it it suffered it's that security and that feeling yeah. that you provided. You can't be in so many places or yeah. more than... And we built that place from scratch, basically. It was a Trammel Crow property, and uh, we had a long-term lease with an option on it. And after three years, I mean, we had five years left on that thing, and I kind of went to the remaining bands, and I said, look, man, I think you probably ought to start looking for another place. I think I'm going to close this thing down. And one of them happened to be Mo Robson, country artist here in Dallas, very popular guy, yeah. customer of ours. And he said, hey, man, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about opening. I'm, you know, I'm thinking about it. And I said, well, I can tell you, it's got debt. It has no customers. And he said, it's okay. I know a lot of people. And he bought it from us. 30 days later, we're at a round table, and he buys it from us. And he, he, la he was there 13 years. Yeah. Yeah, and he just recently shut it down, I mean, to pursue his music career. And, uh, and we allowed him to keep calling it universal. And he was successful at it, man. I mean, it just goes to show you, man, that it's, you know, it doesn't take a whole lot of knowledge to do this. But uh, somebody with a little drive and, you know, um, desire, I mean, he did it. And uh, he lasted a good 13 years. Yeah, that's awesome, man. It would still be going if, if he, you know. Well, I know we teased this earlier, and I know some people are going to, like, die to hear this. So I know... You can pick which one you want to tell first. But people want to know about your experiences with Slash and Izzy. So maybe you can share a cool story or two about Slash and Izzy. Because that, I mean, the minute I said that, I mean, I know people just started popping off like, wait, Slash? Well, it's gonna take us, yeah, it's going to take with, us way back to the early days. There was a radio station here called Z-Rock. I'm sure everybody remembers that. But as I had worked those late nights there at that framing place, that Christian gift item place, I would listen to Z-Rocks on Sunday nights. And uh, it was a make it or break it hour or something. And they played this band called Guns N' Roses out of LA. And, uh, excuse me. And uh, I was like, man, I really like those guys. Of course, I liked all the weird bands like Queens Reich that everybody hated. They couldn't yeah. stand us. But I said, I like those guys. And uh, it was 
no secret around the studio in the early days, and there was a guy that hung around called Kenny Sargent, and he worked at Q102. He hung around with one of the bands, maybe he played in one of the bands, I don't remember, but he knew I loved Guns N' Roses before they were big. And uh, uh, he gives me a call uh, one day, and he says, hey, what are you doing Friday? And I said, I don't know why. He said, be at the Greenville Bar and Grill on Friday at 3 o'clock. Before he goes, I'm not telling you. Had no idea, no clue. Uh, and so I went down and I walk in, and there's Redbeard, who was the DJ at the time, and, and uh, there's Kenny sitting at the table. There's two or three empty chairs, and I'm like, What's going on, man? He goes, Sit down, man, have a beer. About that time, they're about to go live on the air, and a limo pulls up out front, and Slash and Duff McKagan get out of the limo. And I about lost it. You know, I was like yeah. a kid getting a motorcycle for Christmas. I, I'll tell you, man. And I was like, oh, my God. And he was so excited, uh, you know, to see me excited. And Slash walks in and sits down right beside me. And they were opening up for Alice Cooper at, uh, uh, I don't know, some at the fairgrounds, some, some yeah. arena there at the fairgrounds. And I struck up a conversation with him. And a lot of people in my office have seen that picture of me and Slash when we were both 18. And we became fast friends, you know. And he asked me if I was coming to the show and blah, blah, blah. Well, we kept in contact every so often. But 20-some-odd years fast forward, uh, Todd Lewis from the Toadies uh, had formed a band called the Burden Brothers. Taz Bentley from the Reverend Horton Heat was yeah. playing drums. And they came to me, and they said, we need a room. I said, okay. And I said, this is the biggest room I got. This is how much it is. And they said, okay. A uh, friend of ours, Izzy Stradlin, is going to be paying the rent. And I was like, okay. I was like, sure, whatever. And uh, didn't think anything of it. A few days later, man, I get a call from L.A., and it's Izzy Stradlin. And uh, he's like, hey, man, I'm coming to Dallas, uh, you know, Taz told me about you. I need you to pick me up. Let's go yeah. have some sushi, blah, blah. And that's how I met Izzy. Uh, I think I told you at the sushi yeah. bars where I met him. But uh, I walked in to the sushi bar to meet him, and there was only four people in the sushi bar, including me and this chef. And I looked around, and uh, sitting at the bar, I had to take a, a double take, and then I looked over against the window, and realized that Izzy was sitting against the window, but I knew the guy sitting at the at the uh, sushi bar, and it was Kevin Von Erich. <laughs> and who? Well, slash Izzy Kevin Von Erich. I mean, like you can't make this up. No, no. And became fast friends with Izzy. Uh, did some tours with him. He has a band uh, with Rick Richards from the Georgia Satellites, and uh, just just an amazing guy. I mean, just just welcomed me into his circle and is yeah. such an interesting guy uh you would never thought the guy runs every day takes his tacoma out into the mojave desert and is, is enduro and rides with a gallon of water crazy i mean just and he's that guy that's just you know always behind the scenes he never really was out in the public eye you know yeah, and still makes a shit ton of money from Guns N' Roses. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, and uh, most people don't know who Izzy is because, like, Izzy didn't stay around long. A lot of people think he got fired, but I know the real story behind that. But yeah. uh, he, um, 
he told me what, what had actually happened, which was bizarre. I mean, I, for this guy to tell me exactly what happened was pretty cool, but yeah. I thought it was bizarre, uh, that, uh, you know, he, it was his choice to leave. Yeah. Uh, you know, addiction had taken over the band and, um, it was a big problem. The only time they saw each other was, was on the stage and, uh, he's been clean for 20 some odd years now. Yeah. Amazing guy, real healthy, health food guy, you know, and uh, every once in a while, I get a call from him. Just see how I'm doing, man. Yeah. yeah. Well, Yaki is real concerned that you're going to drink all his smoke wagon over here. So, yeah, I brought that just to put it up here for you. That's that's Yaki's favorite. I, of, I absolutely love it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I will so be now getting, you got competition, Yaki. I will be. Uh, and we hope you and Samantha are both doing well. I want to give you guys both a shout out. So, real quick here. But, uh. Yeah, man, that that's amazing. So, talk a little about because I, I, you know, like one of my goals, like, all right, I'm I'm gonna go ahead and announce this now. So, those of you that have stayed around this long, I can finally say the name because I have the domain secured, I have the social media secured. We're incorporated, so hopefully, sometime in late September, y'all get to see the music podcast I've been talking about. Music podcast is going to be called Before the Amplifiers. So I like it. Yeah, thanks, man. I really appreciate that. And as you can imagine, there's a lot of people I'm connected with, and Vince is one of them. We're going to bring you some cool stuff, and I know my buddy Vince over here is going to help me uh, line up some of these shows that we're going to bring to you guys on the podcast and it is most likely going to be on Rumble. So I'm going to make some posts as that comes along. You guys will have to check it out on the Rumble. You'll have to download Rumble. And that's where we're going to put this show out. But stay tuned because it's going to be good. But I have a personal goal because I want to bring back, and I think the perfect way to open up this show and I'm going to go ahead and say it just because that's what I do. But I want to bring back a Dallas legend that I know you're really good friends with. I know he's living out in Nashville. He has a new album that dropped. And I know you're real good friends with Lance Lopez. I so am indeed, yeah. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about maybe a good Lance Lopez story. But for those of you that don't know, I highly suggest you go check out Lance Lopez download any of his stuff or supersonic dream blues machine yeah his, i mean uh, he played with like billy gibbons this guy's played with bb king stevie ray vaughn type stuff like he's like a guitar virtuoso from dallas that if you don't know you should know lance is a guitar badass he is he is it's definitely a show to see and i had the privilege and pleasure of you know he rehearsed at our studio and you know most of the time he would rehearse during the day and a lot of times i'd be out running errands but i came in one day and he was in the front room and i heard this just ripping blues yeah. guitar and i said to my employee mike kelly i was like dude what who's that and he goes that's lance lopez and i went really and i sat down and i listened to the whole set uh outside he didn't even know i was there and he came out and uh we crossed paths and i introduced myself and he goes oh man you're finally get to meet you and i said likewise 
and we struck up a great friendship. And it wasn't too long after that, he said, hey, man, you want to go on the road with me? And I was like, uh, yeah, I, I would. And, uh, and off we went. And I've been all over the country with this guy, man. And I really didn't know how badass he was until we landed in New York at B.B. King's. And he had sold out the big room the first night. I don't know if you've ever been to B.B. King's in, yeah. in Times Square. It's amazing. It's, it's unbelievable how people watch a show there. It's like a dinner uh, venue, and they eat, and they watch a, a, an amazing show. And they clap only at the end of a song. And they eat. And he had sold out. The next night, he sold out Lucille's, which is the, the B room yeah. uh, next door. And... I walked away from that place. I mean, legends would come in and set in with him on some songs. I mean, these yeah. are like 80, 90-year-old legends would come in, and they would bow down to him. And I was like, who the and fuck is this guy? he was a kid guy? back He's then. A kid. He's, he was yeah. a kid. I mean, I was older than he I'm still older than he But, you know, I, I was like, wow. And I mean, if you guys have not, I'm, again, I'm going to say this again. If you have not heard Lance Lopez play the guitar... Seriously, give it a listen. Look him up. Yeah. Like, look it up. He's all over YouTube. Whatever you like to listen to your stuff on, check it out. He he, he is a badass. I mean, like, and he's got a. I, I wish I could remember the name of it. His new song he just released. It's probably one of the more catchy ones. Like, it's very radio friendly. Like, he's gotten a lot more radio friendly. I think my favorite. In song my is, opinion, yeah. like. This new one he's got out, like, it'll get stuck in your head. And, like, he fucking jams. I mean, this dude shreds a guitar. I mean, it's like watching Stevie Ray Vaughan or Jeff Beck, somebody, like, of that nature. Like, the guy just shreds. And it's phenomenal to watch. You definitely you... get your money's worth when you go see a Lance yeah. Lopez show. And so many people don't know who he is. That, that <laughs> it's still unbelievable. amazes me. You know, he's, he, you know, he'll he'll do festivals, you know, 10, 20,000 seat festivals in Europe. Yeah. Rock class. I mean, I've seen this guy just kill it, man. And the, the he's got a fan base all over the world. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the last tour we did with him, we went up uh, into Chicago and Pennsylvania and we did a record up in uh, upstate New York and uh and just this guy had a, a huge turnout everywhere we went. Uh, Chicago and Buddy Guy sold out. I mean, uh, and I'll tell you another good guy, and not to take away from Lance, is yeah. West Jeans. Uh, I don't even know who that is. Oh, he's I'm... from Marshall, Texas. And okay. They do, a, they, they do a lot of touring together. They've done a record together. And I love me some West Jeans, man. To see them both, it is a treat. But uh, I've done a couple tours with those two guys, man. And two of the best underrated uh least known badasses from texas man um and they've opened up for a lot of big cats a lot yeah. of big cats so just so you guys know i'm gonna i'm gonna spill the beans a little bit more about what we're gonna bring to you guys when we start this music podcast so i am literally bringing back mtv unplugged to an extent like i want to get these guys to sit down we're going to do a podcast with them beforehand where you guys will get a, have some one-on-one, -on -one, hear us sit down just like Vince and I are right now, 
have a conversation about their career, their music, their passions, whatever they're going to play, whatever set they decide they want to play, stuff like that. We're going to put that out there. You guys can be interactive, part of that. It's going to be subscription-based. So if you just become a member, you're going to be able to follow along. You'll get to watch the podcast. You'll get to hear that. That'll all be live. But if you're a paying subscriber, you'll get early admission to buy tickets to the event if you are local here in DFW, where you can come see the show if you want. You'll get first access to that. And then you'll, whether you could be at the show or not, you will get to stream that live show. So just think Lance Lopez, something like that, where we're going to ask him to play acoustic, which I don't know. I mean, I've seen him play around with his acoustic a little bit on Facebook, but I don't know if he's ever done a whole show acoustic. I've, yeah, I've, I've, I've gone and seen him do acoustic sets at okay. coffee houses. So, man, so maybe I, yes. Yeah, man. Uh, maybe yes, but I, I'm just saying, 100%. like, it's not do. something you normally see. And to me, acoustic lets you guys get a real feel for what that artist is truly capable of. Because when they're sitting down writing a song, most of the time they're not amping up and doing this whole thing. They're fiddling around with an acoustic in their apartment, in their house, on the tour bus, in their hotel. That's where the song comes to life, typically. I'm not saying all the time, but typically. So to be able to hear that, I mean, it takes me back to when I was a kid and Nirvana did it. You know, people that were 10, 20 years older than me when Nirvana first came out that weren't into that type of music, when Nirvana did Unplugged, a lot of people prior to that were like, I don't get this. This is five guys blowing out, you know, a small club. They're amped up. They're, They're breaking shit. They're, you know, they're just playing their brains out. And they couldn't really hear how good of a songwriter, how good the melody was, how good the riff was. But then you put them on MTV Unplugged, and they break that all down acoustic. And then people that were, you know, 10, 20 years older than me, they were like, holy shit, they're really talented. Like, wow, that song was really beautiful because they could hear Teen Spirit or, you know, any one of those songs played unplugged. And it gave them an appreciation for what a good artist was. And, like, they could hear the beauty in the song. And that's what I want to bring back. Like, I, I, want to, I want to do that. Like, I would love to have a Toadies, Reverend Horton Heat, those guys that some people may be turned off by just like, because these guys go pretty hard. I'll tell you also that one of my favorite bands, and I hate to rat them out, I hope maybe someday my show will be big enough that I can convince them otherwise. Chevelle is one of my favorite bands. I love Chevelle. I met these guys going to an Austin show. We went, me and my old roommate, went and had sushi. We're walking back, standing in front of this bike shop, looking at retro bicycles in a window. And everybody is two blocks away, lined up outside their tour bus in front of the venue, thinking that they're all there. Well, we didn't even know it. They were eating in the same damn restaurant as us. They were just in some back room where we didn't see them. Right. 
But then when we all walked out and we're headed back towards the venue, we were just taking a casual stroll on our way back and we just stopped in front of this. And my, my roommate starts tapping me on the shoulder. He's like, dude, 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 dude. And I'm like, there what? And it's like, there they are. And I knew the lead singer was like a germaphobe and like all those other things. So I just offered daps. And he was like, you know me. I was like, cool. Yeah, man. Like, how are you doing? He's like, I'm great. You know, I was like, we started t- talking. It was so cool to sit and get to meet those guys on a personal level like that. And he's like, what song do you want to hear tonight? And I was like, all right, on point one, your very first album, there's a song that you literally start off playing acoustic. And I was like, I, I collect acoustic music. Like, I, if I can find something that somebody did acoustic, I collect that. And he was like, man, I, don't, I have an acoustic guitar on the bus, but he's like, we've never played that song live. He's okay. like, we're just too metal for that. And I told him about my idea because originally I just wanted to open up my own venue that was like an audiophile place where you could have food and drinks and be a small, intimate setting until I came across the idea that I could do this with a podcast and, and, and bring this to life. And he literally like completely shit on my like whole thing. It was like, <laughs> yo, I'm I, like, we're just too metal to that. Like we, I don't know that we would ever do that. And yeah, dude, it like broke my heart. He's like, but what other song would you want to hear? Pick another song. <laughs> He's taking and I, I forget what I even said, but about two thirds of the way through the show, me and my roommate, we're like literally standing at the back of this place. Cause I always try to go get as close to the soundboard as I can. Cause yeah. if you know anything about music, Go get by the soundboard because that's the guy running everything. Best so seat in the house. It's gonna sound yeah. the best right there. Like get as close to that soundboard as you can. You don't need to be in the front row. Like I mean, if that's what you want to do to enjoy the show, go do it. But if if you really truly want to hear your favorite artist or whatever, or you're buying tickets to a concert, buy the seats closest to the sound engineer. Because everything's 100%. coming right there. I mean, yeah. yes, he has headphones on, and yes, he's more plugged in, but I can guarantee you, whatever venue you're in, that's going to be the best seat in the house. Like, whether you're on the side stage, behind the stage, it ain't going to be as good as by the soundboard. I, I can guarantee you that. It, ask anybody right. that's right. done anything. Like, be by the soundboard. But I can remember sitting back there, and he was like, all right, this is for you, man. And he played the song, and they, they hadn't played that song live in a long time. I forget what it was at this point in time, but, dude, that was so amazing. Oh, they still like, touring? Or? Latched on to Oh, yeah, they put out albums so fast. Like, really? Uh, and that's one of the things I love about them. Like, they, they don't sit around and wait. And he, I asked him at the time, I was like, when is your next album coming out? He's like, funny you say that because my BlackBerry got stolen and my dumbass doesn't back it up all the time. And the entire lyrics to the next album were pretty much on that BlackBerry. So I still have a lot on my head. I got to redo it. And like literally like six months later, the album came out. But like he literally had his BlackBerry stolen that like he put everything on. So for all you musicians out there, back up your shit. 100%. You're on the road traveling and stuff like that. It's real easy to lose something like that. Erica Badu uh, misplaced her uh, MacBook with a oh. whole record on it. Yeah, luckily they recovered it. Yeah, 
That's awesome. I mean, you, you've had everybody. I mean, like, you don't just have metal bands or rock bands. I mean, like, literally everybody has been at Universal. I've like, got I, a story about Erica Badu. Before I moved here, I, I was in a DJ coalition called the Core DJs. And we came down here to, uh, I don't, it could have been your spot. It was a studio she had. And now that you're describing it, it sounds so familiar. But she did an entire set where all of her um, band members used laptops. There was not a live, it was no live instruments. Everybody had a laptop playing their instrument. It was the most. It was universal. It may have been, like I said, this was back in 2012. Yeah. About 2011, 2012. They would do rehearsals there. It was called the Cannabinoids. And, yes. Uh, yeah. And, and we DJ came down A1, here. We were invited. Ringo, it was Ringo, Rashad, uh, all these, I mean, badass DJs. And but this wasn't like Serato. These like so the the keyboards, all laptops. They had laptops. Yeah. I'm looking for instruments. She said we're doing something a little bit experimental. You know, Erica Badu is yeah. like that. And I'm just, I mean, so have you been in her sessions? Have you, you know her. I mean, just, yeah. she's from here, but yeah. I had no clue. But to see an entire band play on laptops the whole session, no instruments, everything was done with laptops, and it sounded it's cool amazing. To watch. It, it is, man. It's cool to watch. She is very, very, I mean, she is Jimi Hendrix in the form of a female. Yeah. She is And for those of you there. that didn't see this, if you go to Facebook and you're listening to this after the fact when we post on all the other things, go check out our Facebook page. Paul just shared a link. Paul Beckingham shared a link in the comments to Lance Lopez. Uh, you guys will enjoy that, I promise. Uh, check it out. All right, give us a Reverend Horton Heater toady story. Well, because uh, everybody local loves Reverend Horton Heat and the Toadies, and I know you have a long-lasting relationship with those guys. Well, the Jim and the Rev, Jimbo, and and been through a lot of drummers, but they've been a customer of ours for fifteen years plus. Yeah, and I love Jim to death, man. Uh, he's such a great guy, and he's such a a legend in this town. Absolutely. Uh, everybody, you know, you know, he's just big in the hot rod scene. He's a big car guy uh, in, in the rockabilly scene. Uh, but, uh, you know, I mean, Jim always come down, pull up a chair in the office and just, you know, 10 minutes turns into an hour. And uh, we, we talk about so many things. You know, he's a gun guy, I'm a gun guy. You know, he's hot rods. Oh, I almost left that out. Yeah. Uh, but the toadies, man, I, you know, I, I love those guys, man. I tell you, you know, uh, when they put this band together, the Burden Brothers, uh, I fell in love with them, man. And, and uh, underrated out of that oh, time man. period by a long shot because everybody was so upset when the toadies weren't doing anything. But, like, if you didn't know about the Burden Brothers, you were missing out. Yeah, I got to hear him, you know, coming out of room one, and I was like, wow. And, you know, I, I try not to get in anybody's space, you know, and, and uh, I was like, wow, that's Todd Lewis, that's Taz Bentley from Reverend Horton Heat, and what a great band. Casey Orr from Dusu, and uh, oh, I mean, not Casey, Casey Orr from War, uh, and uh, Rigor Mortis. Yeah. And, uh, and I was like, this is, this is going to be huge. And uh, they were loading out one day. And uh, so we're all going. They said, we're going to Austin to play Carlos and Charlie's or something like that. I said, well, I've got family down there. I'm going to be down there this week. And he said, come out to the show. 
And uh, I said, sure, I'll be there. And I walked in, they were playing on a sand volleyball court and they were tuning up. I got there just in time and I had ordered a beer and they downstroked. And 45 minutes later, I had taken one drink out of my beer and I was like, what the fuck just happened, man? Yeah. These guys blew me away. And of course, you know, my wheels were spinning and yeah. I go backstage, let them know that I was there. Just, Thanks for coming. And I said, hey, man, anything you guys need, let me know. And they're like, oh, thanks, man. We got some interest out on the West Coast. And I was like, cool. About 30 days later, Taz called me. He goes, what do you mean, you know, uh, if you needed anything? I said, well, I don't hump gear. Uh, and at the time, uh, my partner and I were starting a record label. And uh, I played uh, Beautiful Night for them off their demo. And uh, his exact words is whatever they want. Ten days later, they're at the Hit Shack in, in Austin, did a record. And, and got it out, and they were on tour. And yeah. uh, they signed with Kirtland Records and, and went out and did uh, three and a half years of just knocked down. I was at every show. And uh, I, I was just so sad. Uh, but they decided they didn't want to continue on and wanted a break. And uh, Tammy Thompson's like, hey, you know, you got to get the toadies back together. And uh, I think the conversation was, well, yeah, I think I put time chimed in and said it ought to be all original members and and tammy's like you got to do the first show at possum kingdom it was born and the toadies we were at that show yeah sold out like in 30 minutes like yeah, 4500 tickets they played the yeah. beach over there it was. oh my god and and i four or five records later new toadies and they're going stronger than ever they're all a little gray but they can still kick your ass his vocals haven't changed no, not at all I mean, like, it, it, it's amazing what some of those guys do. I mean, there's just, you know what? I, I really love what vinyl is doing in the local music industry again. I think that's Zach Malloy's. Is it Zach Malloy that's behind uh, the, the North Texas vinyl or whatever? I'm not sure, but I know. But North Texas vinyl is coming out and, like, I can't tell you how many bands from the late 90s to 2000s re-released on vinyl, and they've gotten together for at least a show. A lot of them have been played at Clint's Place out at Trees. Yeah. And, I mean, you've seen the Nixons are back rocking some shit. Yeah. Um, my buddies in Miser got all back right. together. 40%. They, I mean, they, 40% because they brought Coach back. I mean, Coach yeah. is like, I think he lives in Vegas now. Yeah, they did rehearsals uh, at Universal, man. What a treat, man. Moonshine's I mean, one of my yeah. really good friends. Me, yeah. and, me and Moon go back. Really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, there was a band that they played at, uh, God, what is that place? It was right by uh, the old Bill's Records. Um God, I can't think of the name of it right now. I'm like mind blank. I Is should it the know Blues this. Blues Club or the no, 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 the big venue. Palladium now. Palladium. Yeah. What's Palladium now? Gillies or Gilly? It was Gillies and Gillies back in the day. And I remember they had this like uh, lane in the back, and there was a band called Evans Blue, Canadian guys, and that's another Jaeger story. They were sponsored by Jaeger, and the lead singer started talking trash to me. I was back there hanging out with the Miser guys, and like he was like. You, you're the Jaeger guy, huh? And I was like, yeah, I'm the Jaeger guy. Like, yeah, uh -oh. yeah, let's do this. So we started drinking Jaeger, and uh, I, I woke up at Moonshine's couch, and I had blue 
dots all over my chest like i had chicken pox <laughs> well they had scooters that you could ride backstage in that long alley and they had the pool tables me and the lead singer from heaven's blue were jousting with pool sticks on oh, scooters no. <laughs> yeah great great time great time Mind well you, we're getting towards the end here and i feel like there's a few things we want to like hit on that like we haven't quite got to yet you're like I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but like you were the 80th person to get your license to do CHLs. Yeah, so in Texas, like you're a big gun guy. I am. A lot of our listeners are big gun guys. I was in uh, 90s. I be- uh, wanted to pursue something else and uh, became a gun dealer. And and uh, the concealed uh, carry uh, was coming to Texas, and I thought, wow, man, I'd like to pursue this and. So uh, I went down to DPS and signed up, and I was the 80th person in the state of Texas to become a concealed handgun instructor. There were 350 of us, and uh, first day was eight hours of legal. And uh, you know the legal department's like, so everybody wants to get rich, giving everybody permits, and everybody's like, yeah, raise their hands. They said, well, welcome to the food chain. After the break, the lunch break half of them didn't return but i stuck it out and uh, i became a concealed handgun instructor and it wasn't all what i it was stacked up to be there's a huge liability in that but uh, i continue to be a a gun dealer and all my friends have got every gun they've ever wanted and so do i but uh, (laughs) that was fun security for universal 100 (laughs) percent. yeah Yeah. and you're uh, also a big motorcycle guy like one of the pictures that has gotten the most... All right, there's, there's two pictures out of the three that you gave me that we posted when we shared this. The number one picture was you on front of your motorcycle. Okay. And I think you still have this bike. I do. All yeah. right. And everybody is like, that is a fucking sweet bike. Tell everybody about the bike a little bit. And I think that's a Martin Brothers bike, if I'm correct. It is a Martin Brothers bike. And Joe and Jason are dear friends of mine. And music brought us together. Before they were famous, they had a, a band, and they practiced at my place. What was their and band called? American something. It was a, right. I can't remember what it was. But, you know, they were rock. And Joe's a shredder. You know, people don't, a lot of people don't know that. Uh, uh, metal shredder. And, All right. Uh, but they were building motorcycles out in Duncanville, and uh, uh, when the Burden Brothers got together and we did a deal with them, we had a show at the Granada Theater. Yeah. And we were up in the VIP section, and all of a sudden, I noticed Joe and Jason were there. And I don't usually get starstruck around anybody else, but they had just won the Discovery Channel biker build-off. It was early days. Yeah. And I couldn't control myself. And... uh, I really could, but uh, I introduced myself to them, and they were huge fans of the Burden Brothers. They they absolutely loved them, and I said, "Well, I'm your guy." Yeah. And of course, they were at every show, and uh, uh, and they welcomed me into their world. They said, "Man, you ought to come out to the shop," and and uh, you know, I wasn't into motorcycles at the time, and they welcomed me into their circle of friends. It's not a big circle, but uh, they treated me like family. And next thing you know, they're like, hey, man, you want to go to SEMA uh, in Vegas? And I was like, sure. Yeah. And the next thing you know, we're fast friends. And uh, we had a merch shop at the time. And and uh, we went to dinner. And 
Joe's like, hey, Jason, to his brother, Vince does merch. Have him do all of our merch. And those guys like hella merch. Yeah. Because they were so popular. And, I mean, just right behind West Coast Chopper stuff. Yeah. And uh, I, you know, I'm a car guy. And I uh, went to Austin to a, a show and me and Joe were hanging out. We went out and looked at the 64 Lincoln. He's like, Vince, you got to look at this car. I couldn't sleep, man. I ended up buying the car. And Joe and I had a, a 64 Lincoln. 64 Lincoln. That's got the suicide door. Suicide right? slam. Oh. He, he has that car today. And, uh, you, know, I, you know, I said, you know, Joe, I, I'd really like for you to build me a bike. And he's like, okay. You know, and I was like, what, you know, what do you think, man? And he goes, I don't know. We'll work something out. And uh, he'd never talk money with me. And uh, uh, I said, well, I want one, and I want one bad. And uh, so he said, hey, man, what are you going to do with that Lincoln? I said, well, I don't know. Do you want it? And uh, he's like, maybe. And I said, well, I'll tell you what. You build me a bike and give me that Corvette you got, and I'll trade you. And the deal was done. And uh, the bike that he delivered is the bike you see in that picture. It's so beautiful. It was over 100 hours in, in paint work on that thing. And uh, dude, I mean, they are top of their gang, you know, because he's, he's got a show out now called Iron Resurrection yeah. on Velocity Channel, him and his bride, uh, Amanda's sweetheart. And uh, they are just really, have really blown up and uh, not building so many bikes now as, as they are cars because the show's taking up a lot of their time. But I love those guys, man. I'm their biggest fan. I love Joe. Absolutely, man. All right, well. Unfortunately, I'm going to have to have you back when we start the music podcast. I mean, I say I unfortunately, but I, I'm super excited about this. I know you and I got some things in the works. We'll, we'll leave that at that for now, but now's the time where we start winding down the show. Okay. I know you've watched, I know you've seen the show, so I got some questions for you now. Okay. now now's the grilling. Okay. Now's the grilling. You put me so, on the spot. Yeah, I'm going to put you on the spot. Go for it. So. Family man, you have two sons. I do. If you could leave them with one word of advice, one you know, one statement, one 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 piece of advice, what advice would you leave your sons with? If that if today was your last chance to give them some piece of advice, what what would you leave your mm. kids with? I would tell them to bless as many people as they can and 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 just be the best husband, father that you can be. Um, and really that's about it other than just be, be a good human being. Be, man, they are. I, yeah. I, they've far exceeded my expectations and, and they're both wonderful boys. And I'm telling you, man, um, I think they're going to be okay. Uh, yeah. I hope I've, I've done well. You know, uh, but they're great. Anybody that knows I'm my... I'm sure the apples didn't fall far from Not at all. And uh, in fact, all the musicians call them Vince 1 and Vince 2. And, and uh, I send them out on gigs and they do it exactly the way I do it. So yeah. I think they're going to be okay. But uh, uh, I, I just would tell them to bless as many people as they can and awesome, leave a mark, man. some sort of a mark, yeah. you know. I mean, that's what everybody tries to do. They try to align their purpose and their passion and find their place in this world. Yeah, I don't want people to, when I'm gone, to say, that guy was a dick. You know, I, I want to say, that was a cool motherfucker, man. You know, yeah. that's really all I want, you know. And I'm right uh, there with you, man. Like, yeah. I mean, I've made my mistakes, but, you know, at the end of the day, 
I hope I've done more good than bad. You're not going to please everybody, but I try to walk away from every, you know, down pitfall, whatever, the better man, you know, and and try to be the bigger guy, you know. And uh, I hope that, you know, people remember that, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Right on, man. All right, now the last and final one. So the show is called Common Sense. I've talked about a little bit about what common sense means to me. This is your chance. You can say whatever the hell you want. Like, it really doesn't matter. Share some common sense of your journey along the way and leave our people with a little bit of common sense from Vince. One of the things I can tell you is, is you never know who you're talking to. So be careful how you treat somebody. Uh, because you, uh, it may come back to bite you. I mean, you almost ran over Jason Newstead. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that would have made some news, wouldn't it? But, um, you know, man, just treat everybody the way you want to be treated, man. And try not to get over on somebody, man. I mean, there's no amount of money worth losing a friend over, you know, and uh, in business or in, in regular life, you know. But uh, common sense is just what it means, man. Just treat people the way you want to be treated and uh, leave a an impact on somebody if you can you know a positive impact that's what i would say that's awesome man i mean i I think everybody the one thing you need to think about is like you can choose what your what your mental state is what your attitude is and that's reflected i mean it's something i struggle with all the time i mean I, i don't know if lately i've had RBF or what, but like, you know, people ask me around the office, like, man, are you all right? You good? Yeah, I'm good. Like, well, shit, man, am I putting off that vibe? Like, am I, am I not, am I not being me today? You know, and I think that's real important for people to think about. Like, that, there's few things you can control, but you can't control what energy, what mood you bring to any situation. And being the best you, that's all anybody can ask. Like, you know, and be you. Whatever being you means to you, be you. Because at the end of the day, that's really all that matters. Because the most important asset we all have is time. So if time is your most important asset, that's what everybody's trying to gain. Whether it's from wealth or anything else, you're trying to gain more time to do what you want to do with your time. The better you can get at that, I feel like the happier you're going to be in life. I, I would agree with that. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So we're going to wrap the show up, guys. I hope you guys have enjoyed sitting down with Vince and I today. I've truly enjoyed this show. I hope you guys have enjoyed it as much as I have. Next week, we will be back again on Tuesday, 6 p.m. For those of you that are always hammering me about having more people from my professional industry on, We have a legendary long lifer in the multifamily industry. We have Sue Ann Tinsley coming on, who just recently retired from Day Rise. Um, I think you guys are going to enjoy that. You're also going to see that's going to be from a completely different location. We're shooting that one at my house. My wife's, like, freaking out about this already, so, I mean, like... (laughs) This is already going to happen, but, like, you know, she's a close friend of mine. We're going to do this at the house. We're going to play pool in the background while you and her are having a conversation. You and Sarah are going to play pool when you get done. 
Oh, I gotta work. Yeah, you gotta work, Biz. Damn. You got you gotta work okay. for a little while. All right. But yeah, yeah, we're 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 gonna bring that show to you live from my house. Should be more than you guys have expected. It should be an interesting show. So again, stay tuned, you guys. The website. I'm gonna go ahead and say for any of you that are still listening, because we're like running over time here. The website is actually 98% done. If you look it up, you can find it. It's there. It ain't its final form yet. Merch is on the way. Merch is coming. Before the amplifiers is coming. My goal is to have this out in late September. So we'll see if we can meet that deadline. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. We'll see you next week. And peace. Peace.